I'm Gareth Armstrong, and you're listening to a Razor's Edge podcast. This is a new feature called Entrepreneurs Ask, where you are able to ask your most burning, difficult questions to Alon and other experts here at Racecorp, where they won't shy away from straight talk and real answers. Alon and his team have assisted 13,000 businesses over the last two decades, and the knowledge and insights they have gained during this time are available to us all via this feature and the other podcasts and resources Racecorp produces. A quick heads up. This is a high detailed discussion and a notebook is a worthwhile tool to have by your side while listening as frameworks are shared, plans are elaborated on, and most importantly, insights and thoughts come to your mind that are specific to your situation and circumstances. Additionally, all links and resources mentioned in this podcast can be found on the racecorp.com podcast page. Today's question comes from Nele, an entrepreneur based in Kauteng, South Africa. And it's a question we are all asking at this interesting, albeit potentially worrying time. Hi, Alon, and hi, Gareth. Thanks so much for taking my question. What I'd like to find out is, as COVID-19 is upon us and government has responded with various restrictions, how should I as an entrepreneur approach this period of uncertainty? From our perspective, Nele, the way to think about this uncertainty is to think about your frame and how you see it. I have this mixed feeling in me right now, which is that I have to do the right things and who knows what they are because there's so much uncertainty. But I have to take a best guess and back myself. And the second thing is I'm incredibly excited, not just because I just experienced today as we come to the end of today, an incredible magic that happened in Racecorp today where all the different individuals got together and started solving problems around certain crises that were starting to pop up. For example, a client saying they want to shut down one of our branches or people saying they don't want to come in for a guiding session. How do we handle those things? So some of them we had actually anticipated and we had answers for and some of them we didn't. And so today was very much about dealing with the ones that we hadn't anticipated. And so to me, the way that you need to think about this, Anele, is first of all, your your frame of mind needs to be, it's exciting. It's serious, but exciting in that this is really happening. You can't run away from this. No one can run away from this. I've noticed today that there are certain entrepreneurs that are like deers in a headlight that are just like just standing there not knowing what to do and some are leaning directly into it so for me there's about leaning into this and that is through leadership and we'll talk about that a bit more through a clear plan and for you to keep your mindset about where are the opportunities for the organization in the long term and for the organization right now in terms of being opportunistic about what is popping up right now The most important way to look at what Alon is sharing is to understand that he is facing this crisis with us. While Racecorp is Africa's largest privately held incubator, it is not immune to changing market conditions, especially not one as far-reaching as COVID-19. What Alon does have, however, by sheer force of ongoing entrepreneurial effort and exposure, is a history of smaller, difficult moments that have helped him to shore up himself his team, and his business against times like these. Let's listen to how he has approached this moment. And I've spent some sleepless nights just trying to think through how, from a Racecorp point of view, how we will address this as this becomes an epidemic and how it affects 
our markets. And even there, I would say that I'm also humble enough to say that I don't know where that's going to go and if anything I say is going to be even valid for ourselves. But we have no choice right now as to give it our best shot and to have a plan. From a race call point of view, we've been fortunate in the sense that thinking has always been about a doomsday event. So for the last, I don't, as far as I can remember, I have been thinking about what is the one thing that will take us out. I never anticipated this at all. For me, it was always going to be a legislative move. So that's where I anticipated the death blow would come from. And so as a result, we've been preparing for that death blow in terms of um, what we would do to A, anticipate it, and B, prevent us from sinking as a result. So we were expecting a minister's signature to sink us, and instead it turned to be God's signature that potentially could. And because we've been anticipating this, we've been preparing for what I call a doomsday event for years. And now we just have to modify the way that we respond to it. And what that has done is sort of given us a level of resilience in the sense that this is not a big shock. So we've been fortunate and many people who are listening perhaps weren't anticipating that and are on the back foot. But we as entrepreneurs need to take control as well. And that comes back to the mindset about I'm in control of what's going on. I am the leader of this organization. And by the way, I see everyone, I spoke to my whole team this morning, everyone is a leader in some form or or another, whether it's at home, in their family, in their community, in business, they're a leader at some point. So they need to take control of the way that they think. The best definition of leadership I have heard is this. Leadership is all about movement. Your job as a leader is to ensure that movement occurs no matter what. As we consider our roles as leaders through the lens of movement generation, we might just see a few more options and opportunities to act. Alon approached his organization and his desire to keep movement going, to keep the wheels turning this way. As I said earlier, I've been staying up every night thinking but i haven't just been thinking i've been reading i've been doing a lot of research there's a lot of information a lot of misinformation and there's a lot of information that i don't understand so you're trying to get a sense of what is real and what's not real what is hype and what's not hype what would be the motive behind an article such as this looking at its source seeing if it's scientific and even if it is scientific be sourced also what is the motivation behind that so a little bit of a skeptical lens over what I'm reading and trying to collate all this information from different sources. And that's very important that you get a very broad sense of what's going on. So I've read over 100 articles. I've listened to over 30 podcasts. I've called up 10 CEOs over the last week asking them what they are thinking about. And some of the answers were deeply unsatisfactory, like, I don't know, some were quite bullshy as in we'll handle it. And some were thoughtful in terms of this is what we're doing. And some were also panicky in terms of like, we'll shut the whole thing down. Once I had gathered all that information, I had to try and get a sense of what I felt, what was the right thing to do. And for me, this is the time in these crises, these are the times to lead. So what I did was I send out on a monthly basis, a thing called EFA, email from Alon to my whole team. And it's quite a 
a detailed letter talking about different parts of the business, what I'm concerned about, what's exciting, what's happening, and it's effectively a communication. What I sent out last night after I spent a whole day writing basically four pages, because I wanted to be very thoughtful and very balanced in terms of how I wrote this, was here's what's happening. This is how to frame it. I wanted to give it a frame, and this is our plan. Step by step, these are the different parts of our business, and this is what we're going to do in each part of the business. I also didn't want to deny any fear, deny anything that was going on, or speak from an expert point of view. I'm human. I make mistakes. My role is a leader in this organization. If they like it or not, that's who I am, and I have to act in that way. So the first thing I did was call my whole team. Every Monday I meet anyway, which had an extended view, and we spoke for an hour. I recorded it so that the whole team across the country could be in the session, so to speak. We had a Q&A, and then other people gave fantastic suggestions. And then this whole day has been this incredible, I have to say it's been an incredible day. Because as I said before, as these crises have been popping up, people have been taking leadership and saying, I know how to do this, I can do that, I'll solve this, what about this, what about that? And... You spoke about energy, moving energy, that leadership about energy. That energy has just been flowing all day all over the business, and it's exhilarating. What we are hearing is that our first port of call, a step one, is to communicate with all those involved, all of our stakeholders. But our voice needs to be one of confidence and assurance. It's not that we have all the answers, rather it's a considered confidence that allows those around us to, themselves, take the next step with confidence. We need to help them move. This is most often only possible because we ourselves have moved first, like Alondred with his time watching, reading, listening, and pondering. Let's now listen for Alon's communication formula. How we deliver the message is possibly even more important than the plan or conviction to do so. By the way, as a reminder, all links and resources mentioned in this podcast and in the section can be found on the racecorp.com podcast page. It starts off by, I I humanize it because I just want to say it's my personal relationship with this crisis and what I've done in order to try and understand it. Then I talk about what it is and how I've understood it. And then I reference people who are smarter than me through links. In fact, I only chose one link that I really sort of resonated with me. And I said, go and listen to this. Let us all have this frame. And that means that we have a single operating system in place. Then I broke it down into three categories. Our personal health. I talk about people first, and that's very important to me. The economic implications. So what is the macro context? Normally you start from the macro and you've moved down to the individual. For me, I wanted very deliberately to start with the individual because this is about individuals. This is about our lives. So starting off with people, then moving to the economic implications, and lastly, our business and how we respond. Now to the specifics about almost like the last thing that's important, which is the business. And so just that's sort of the framework that I went through. And then I spoke this morning for probably half the time on the personal safety, what were the myths, what were not the myths, where to find more and more research. And my big drive was for people to take their own accountability here, that they need to be accountable and responsible for their own health because we don't just coalesce at work. We coalesce at home, funerals, weddings, 
family events, social events, etc. And the COVID-19 virus is, is not just distributed at work. It's distributed everywhere. So for them to take the ownership and responsibility in all contexts, and so they need to own their own hygiene safety in this regard. And then giving them deep references on specifics on how to do things. And, and once again, going to the, what I said before around the over-communication, I don't care if they know that they have to wash their hands and they have to sing happy birthday twice whilst they're washing their hands and they've all heard that. I don't care. We'll say it again because there might be two people in the room that haven't heard that and that's important for them. The next thing around the people and then just, just on that, just as an aside, is that part of the thinking is who are the most vulnerable people based on the knowledge that we have right now? Who are the most vulnerable people in the, in the business? Immediately I went to them this morning and asked them to go home at full pay just go home because they have got the highest likelihood of being deeply affected by COVID-19 virus. So I dealt, let's call it, with the vulnerable ones first this morning. I dealt with them straight away. The, the, their poor hearts when you pulled them into the CEO office. And so I went <laughs> to them. I didn't pull them into the CEO. I went straight to them. I also looked at the people who were typically left out of these conversations, which was the gardener on the property. So I made sure that uh, people then went to him and had a full discussion with him as to what was going on. So he understood what was going on. Because these people who are on the peripheral are somehow left out of this conversation. So what I had been thinking about yesterday is who's going to be left out, who's vulnerable, and then very specifically targeted them quite early in the day. So once you get through the, the personal, then it goes to the macro. So the macroeconomic is for people to understand the context. We don't often look up at the broader context about the economic implications, both positive and negative, I might add. If you are in the toilet paper business today, you're smiling. But you know, if you are in the events business, you're crying. And so there are going to be winners and losers and trying to understand that this is not all doom and gloom. This is, this is a very complex problem. And it has complex ups and downs that need to be understood. So I try to bring that across to the organization and what other organizations are doing in regard to their place in the economy. Then the last thing was around our business and how we respond. He asked himself the key critical question. How have other businesses during other times of crisis survived and even thrived? Here follow five things these businesses did. And what I did was I went to, as we all do, to Google, and I looked for as much information as I could as to how businesses responded after the 57 epidemic and those that thrived and survived. I then wrote down the things that I believed were consistent amongst the various things I had read and put a list together, then asked myself if these were the things that we could do. So there are five things that I wrote down. The first thing is that it went back to basics. They got the basics right. So everyone said, okay, no fancy schmancy, let's get the basics right. So whatever we do, let's get that right. Number two will be they became incredibly flexible and adaptable to a highly fluid situation. So everyone knew things were fluid 
and everyone just knew that hour by hour, even minute by minute, things could change. And so if an, a new opportunity presented, which I'll get to now, that needed to be flexible as an organization to take advantage of that, or if a new threat appeared, to then deal with that. And basically expect the threats and look for the opportunities. So this is about you've got to be adaptable, which is what in our previous podcast we talk about what I look for in entrepreneurs. We, we've got a whole podcast on flexibility, and this is what we say. We have to be those people as well. The third thing was to remain highly disciplined. One thing that came across very strong is that in a time of chaos, it is organizations that are disciplined that they have a higher chance of survival. This is about everyone being disciplined. Laissez-faire is not the way to deal with a chaotic situation or a crisis. Then number four, they were opportunistic. And what opportunistic means is different for every single organization. So opportunistic for us might be through different departments, what are the opportunities here to do this or that. And then we were asking our team, where are the opportunities? So both my business partner and I have been looking for opportunities and we found a massive, massive one early on in the day and then shared that with as many people as we could to show an example of opportunism. Yeah, and to almost initiate some attitudinal change as well. Very true. And to show that, that good things can come out of this. My job today was very much looking for the opportunities and managing the crises. So then the last piece was about they over-communicated. So these organizations that survived and thrived over-communicated. I've taken that to mean communicated internally a lot, communicated to the supply chain, and communicated to the clients. And so today I spent the whole day other than dealing with the crisis, designing communication, internal and external communication. That's all I spent today. I had the framework by first thing in the morning, and then I had the communication that came out of that framework later on during the day. Number one, focus on the basics. Number two, become incredibly flexible and adaptable. Number three, remain highly disciplined. Number four, be opportunistic. Number five, over-communicate. COVID-19 is infecting more than just people, though. It is infecting systems, processes, and norms that we have lived with for decades. Out of the potential destruction that may accompany the death of these systems are new ways of doing things, thinking, and even being. What opportunities does he see, and how can we better identify them? Just a heads up. A little ways into this point, there is about 60 seconds of odd feedback through one of the microphones. Don't worry, it isn't your headphones. The world is a system. And if you look at system theory, when a system becomes redundant, it has to change, otherwise it dies. And I think the world, in many senses, in different parts of it, as you mentioned, in parts of the economy, have become redundant, where we sort of drinking our own urine. The system is basically feeding off itself. There's nothing new in it. And so systemic shocks are very much part of systems thinking, and they happen all the time, be it a fire that rages through a, a forest and changes the nature of the forest for at least 20 years or another season or whatever the case may be, and that generates a whole new green growth. I think nature has a way of cleansing itself and renewing itself. The point is, I think that this is a system. The system's had a shock. No one likes the shock, 
but we couldn't do nothing about the fact that it's happened. What we can do now is that we can deal with the consequences of it in a way that is positive. Like we, as I said today, people were kinder, more understanding, more collaborative, and you know, and people be more concerned with hygiene into the future. Some say this is basically a dress rehearsal for a much more dangerous virus that will come later. Whether it's true or not, I, I wouldn't know. But if it is, well, then we've got our dress rehearsal. So, so to me, the whole system is changing. And so as systems change, as anything changes, so new opportunities, new green shoots appear. And it's about anticipating those things. If you look at the security industry post 9-11 and see what happened there, a massive industry of x-ray machines and uh, security companies and, you know, stuff that uh, determined whether or not there were explosives in your in your bags. The, the, this whole industry proliferated as a result of a very terrible event that happened in the world. If you look at that, what you're describing, suddenly a dog breeder, a dog breeder, was making 10, 20, 30, 40 times what they had made in their previous financial year because they needed dogs that could sniff out weapons or yeah. some kind of bomb. Uh, and so a dog breeder. Yes. That's, yes. that's, the, that's so, the, what we're talking about. Yes. And, and it's this bizarreness of, you know, you know, for me, I feel you know, retrospectively quite stupid because we had a, a company come here to our partner elite division where we take equity in businesses. And about three, four years ago, came with a business that did basically many hands and oh. no, no hand sanitation. It was like sprays and things like this. And I looked at this and because it's highly competitive, blah blah blah. And I said, like, I don't want to be involved in in, in this business. The first person I found this morning to get hand sanitizer was <laughs> this, this dude, <laughs> um, and he said he couldn't cope. And, and the irony here, just talking about systems, is it, it wasn't the fact that he didn't have hand sanitizer. He had plenty. He didn't have bottles, those pump bottles, because they came from China. There's like this obscure, these obscure winners from a system change or a system shock is the exciting piece. And to anticipate that. But there's first le level anticipation. So the hand sanitizer guy and the toilet paper guy are first level thinking. The question is that what are the inputs into those? As a result of that, what is the opportunity? So there's a whole bunch of events companies that are going to fall down now. So what, what is going to result? What will be released from that? What types of people, what types of assets, etc., will be released from that? What is the opportunity with a whole bunch of empty convention centers? That's first order. The second order is what is the result of that thing? And so you start to think about this in, as a second order, as a second level. And so it be, then starts to become exciting. And so what I've been thinking about for the last week and why I haven't been sleeping is because I've been thinking about second order. Most people are thinking about first order. Where's the dog breeder in all this? That's what you're looking for, the obscure stuff that's sitting right on the side that you never could anticipate because a security company is quite logical. But the dog breeder, that's one little bit further on. And then if you're breeding dogs... Well, you need dog food. You need dog food. Inoculations, all and, sorts and of things. And those kind of things. And looking down the value chains there. This has been a fantastic conversation and true masterclass 
where we've been able to peer over Elon's shoulder during a crisis that is demanding the best from all of us. Here's a final shot in the arm, some questions that you can ask yourself and your colleagues that will help you weather the storm and possibly even thrive. If we look back 10 years from now to this situation and said this was a good thing from a business perspective, why would that be? So that's shift question number one. Shift question number two would be, if there was a doomsday event that was going to happen straight after this, in other words, a secondary shock, what would that be? So we've got the doomsday event in terms of this has happened. What's a secondary shock? In other words, as a result of this shock, what's the secondary shock that's going to happen? And the third thing is, if you had to employ the right people for this crisis, which people would you employ in your organization who would be the absolute gift and blessing to your business right now? You can start thinking about how you restructure your business to become more resilient in these, these shocks. And we talk about a VUCA world, and to survive VUCA, we need to be resilient. So how are you thinking about resilience from this? Are you thinking about resilience or are you going to not build in effectively the internal antibodies into your business after this? This is the first episode of Racecorp's new podcast, Entrepreneurs Ask. Thank you for your question, Onele. We hope this answer has provided much food for thought for you and others that have been asking something similar. If you would like to have Alon and other experts share their insights into a question you are tussling with, send us a short 10 or so second voice note to entrepreneursask at racecorp.com. Also, go to racecorp.com to sign up for notifications of our next release, or alternatively, follow Racecorp on your favorite social media platform for notifications of more podcasts and resources like this one. I'm Gareth Armstrong, and it has been a pleasure.